Hey, welcome to Casual Yelling. We got something special for you because of the move from Substack to Patreon. Every episode of I Just Want to Talk to Friends was wiped from the server. However, I have everything saved, so they're going to be right here on Patreon for free. I'm going to upload some of the uh, old episodes that I really enjoyed, and that's about it. You're going to hear me say I just want to talk to friends, but just keep in mind this is a rebrand, so it's under casual yelling. All of these episodes have previously been put up on Substack under the I Just Want to Talk to Friends banner, so if you were a fan of that and had already listened to these episodes, you're going to hear the same stuff. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to keep all the stuff I like on the new website. That's it. Thank you for subscribing or not. I don't know what you do. Rate and review us on iTunes? Thanks. Hey friends, welcome to I Just Want to Talk to Friends, a uh, show about existential dread and getting over trauma. Real positive stuff. I'm Matt Elfring. With me is a, is a great friend who I don't think I've talked to in like two months. Uh, please applaud wherever you are for uh, Jordan Holmes. Hi, Jordan. Hello. This is the sound of my voice. Yeah. Uh, Matt, it's good to talk to you. It's great. Yes, to it talk has to been you. a while. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you were gone out of the country. And yes, we did. We just didn't talk, and now you're back, and we still didn't talk. Well, I mean, that's kind of. Uh, I, I'm noticing more and more my relationship with with all human beings is like, <laughs> when I go outside, uh, you exist, and then if I'm st- if I'm just in here, you you're, you may may not. Who knows? Solipsism is a a question for the ancients. Uh, <laughs> I just I just live it. <laughs> Is uh, that what I'm saying? All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stick with that one. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> this is how we're getting sure. into it. This is how we're getting into it this <laughs> sure. week. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll sign off on that. Uh, for those who aren't aware of you, what do you do? <laughs> this is, I hate that question so much, but I have to do it. Uh, well, I am the co-host of the Knowledge Fight podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's always weird to try and describe it to people. Uh, I'll do my best. Uh, Dan listens to Alex Jones's show on Infowars and then cuts clips to play for me and then I react to them uh, and we kind of dissect it and also laugh at it right mm-hmm. that that's yeah. about that's about right I think so um, so so yeah uh, if that sounds batshit insane to you that's probably because you're right you're right you're 100% correct and you do uh, it every day we don't do it every day we do it probably <laughs> two to three times a week come on but that feels like every day when you have to listen to someone like alex jones yeah yeah that's true well i mean dan has to do about three times the listening that i do and at some points in time uh upwards of 60 times the listening that i've had to do in order when we did the live shows in the uk i think he listened to maybe 50 60 plus episodes uh in the past that he couldn't use so just wasted all of that time listening uh just to find one that we could do for a live show um so yeah if you think if you think this is torture uh it is is. (laughs) if you think this is torture be dan it is yeah 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 yeah. i agree 
I wanted to bring up something. I didn't tell you this before we started the show. I talked about how I went up to Canada. Uh, my dad drove me to the airport. Uh-huh. And um, I, he picked me up at my house, and I got in the car. And he's like, oh, hold on. Like, the Bluetooth is all messed up on the phone or whatever. I can't get anything to work. And then something started playing, and it was your voice. He's like, no, don't oh listen to that. Don't listen to that. Oh, my God. My dad's listening to the knowledge fight on the way to pick me up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That is... It is so. That's what. Oh man. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> Especially because at this point, there are so many different ways that you hear my voice without me being anywhere near you. Yes. <laughs> it's like you're encompassing me at all times. I am available. <laughs> I'm. I no longer exist as a person. I am more of an idea. <laughs> Sometimes I'll just answer the podcast back. I agree, Jordan. Why aren't you talking back to me? <laughs> what happened to our relationship? Uh, yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> uh, so I like to bring up how we met, and I, I don't remember. I know it was stand-up comedy. <laughs> A big part of the show is like, remember that time we met? I, I would like to bring up how we met, <laughs> but I cannot. I physically cannot do so in in the universe we inhabit nope our friendship is such that it both never began <laughs> and it will never end that's it exists outside of time it's, yes. it's, it's uh, secular and it's just we've always existed no uh we met at the comedy shrine uh um, okay. because Lewis had Lewis Ryan uh, was uh, he he had just started talking to me like this was probably about maybe eight, nine months into uh, doing stand up mm-hmm. um, or two years. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, that's that's how long you can be bad for and not <laughs> know. You know, when it's that early, you can really suck for a long time. Yes. But in your brain, you're like, oh, it wasn't that long. I didn't suck for that, you know. And then, you know, I, uh, uh, up to and including now. So Lewis Ryan had just started talking to me, and he was like the funniest fucking dude. Yes. In the open mic world, in the suburbs at the time. He was just so naturally funny, so brilliant, and such a good writer. Yeah. Um. So great. And so like him starting to talk to me was literally almost like a an opening up the world of friends kind of thing, because everybody knew Lewis. Everybody knew that Lewis was good, you know, and that he would just start talking to me was uh, was like, well, at least I could tag along like somehow I'm like 24 years old and I'm like, hey, I'm the young kid. Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. Kevin Lobkovich was nine. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous uh, how old I was to be young. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so, so that was when we met is after, uh, after one of the sets at the Comedy Shrine, Lewis and I were hanging out talking about uh, our bits, and uh, you came out, and you had introduced uh, – or no, you were talking to Lewis – and then we started talking about comic books okay? because that was, that was the only thing I knew that I could like, well, I know, I know you uh, have a one thing, you yes. know, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I know you're I a one-dimensional interest person. No, no. I mean, I know that that is a thing that I can enter into. You know, yeah. I can't just I can't just walk in and be like, hey, the blood drinkers. You know, like you that can't. That's not how you start a conversation. No, no. You try and you try and do something like that. So yeah, and then we met, and then I think, I think I was a. What I think we didn't really talk much for maybe two three years probably, and then I started because I didn't go out to St. Charles that much. Yes, and that was and that was back in the days where uh, there was that big cavernous room. Which one was that? Uh, are you talking about Cordon Blues, the show I ran? That yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, that place. Drufke recorded an album there. Uh, Mike Wiley recorded an album there. Wiley recorded an album there, Ooh. yeah. Oh, man. Um, the memories of people who failed uh, to become successful. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, do you see the room I'm running? It holds 300 people. We once got 80 in here. <laughs> I, I, I mean, come on. It's the best yeah. to fail at stand-up. It's, no one should succeed, and the people who do, God bless them. That's my life philosophy now. Everything should be dead. If it's not, God bless you. Yo, uh, congratulations <laughs> to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We made it. Uh, yeah, so then I started going out to St. Charles because I started getting booked out there more. Yeah. Uh, and Drufke started hanging out there more. And then we started hanging out more. And then about a year after that, I was banned from your home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you were, um, I'll fill in like a little bit of gas. <laughs> Do you need to? I feel like that's plenty. People could fill in the blanks on their yeah, own. And it'll yeah. probably be just as good. Because when you came into comedy, it was very, very, very clicky. It was like, oh, yeah. It was like me, Drufke, Jack Baker, Lewis, Ryan, and Joe Motizzi, um, which we all of us, including yourself, became later known as the Friendship Sharks, I believe, or something like yes, that. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Prattle Rattle or Crap Trap or whatever we were doing. We had we had more than one. More, more than one name. I think we finally yeah. settled on Friendship Sharks. Friendship Sharks, I do believe, was the where we, we ended up there. Or at least the last name that the group chat acknowledged. Yes. After Jokes Motiz Me uh, began the changing the name all the time. <laughs> uh, nothing nothing mattered but friendship checks. No one ever called Joe Motizzi by his real name. We always called him <laughs> Jokes Motiz Me. <laughs> no longer doing comedy. No, 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 no. He's happy now. Yeah. That's what, that's what happens is you stop doing comedy, you get happy. Yeah. Uh, that's what that Partridge Family song is all about. It's about leaving showbiz and fame to come on get happy. You know, I, I, that's, that's something that I've been thinking about so much because we watched this like documentary series called, I want to say it was called Circus Kids, something like that. Oh, it sounds which, depressing already. No, that's the thing about it though. There, it's not like, uh, how can I put it? It's not like the people who would come to Princeton, Illinois, where I grew up, yeah. uh, giving uh, one single twirly-whirly that was made out of things that it should not have been made out of. And then it was repaired with even worse stuff. Uh, like, that's what it was. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about big tent circus kids. And every single one of these people continually introduced themselves with like, 
uh, my name is Jerrisa. I'm 13th generation circus. And you're like, these are the happiest people on the fucking planet, aren't they? It's either that or like they never leave the they never leave the circus because of course not. Why would you? Why would you leave the circus? You're always on tour. You always have a job. It's, you're always a kid doing the most fun things. It's it, you. You, oh, you have a built-in social network yeah. made up of people who are exactly like you. Yeah. There is no. There's no like high school like feeling out like oh this person has different no circus people you're all there. <laughs> you can never be unhappy when you're surrounded <laughs> by the same person. Oh man, I'm really depressed. Uh oh, somebody's juggling. Nope. <laughs> Guess not. I, I took the family. I took the family uh, to yeah. the circus to Ringling Brothers uh, uh, uh-huh. two weeks ago, and no animals anymore. Which I'm <laughs> I'm super pro. That's great. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was three hours of people doing flips, which I could not have made me happier. <laughs> it's like I don't get to see flips in real life enough, and here's three hours of people doing flips with fire, people doing flips on giant metal things that spin around, people that do flips uh, on a bike. Someone brought a BMX bike and did a flip. I felt like I was in 1986. It was great. I love, I love that somehow you've you, they've created like the Bubba Gump of flips. <laughs> How many different ways can you prepare a flip? I, I mean, let's find out. That's what the circus is now. Do you like flips? Yes? Ringling uh, Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But the thing about those is it does make me dream of becoming a sad clown in one of those. Those those are so moving and beautiful in, in such a way. I, I hate to be a spoiler alert person here. No clowns. No clowns. There was like three Ukrainian guys that were in like sequence uh, jackets with like the coattails hanging behind it. And like they did funny things where like they fall over and they look at the audience. It's clowning. It's clowning. But it's not clowns. That's not clowns. Yeah, but it was Mm -hmm. definitely clowning. But you Mm. know, they fall and they look at the audience like, I can't believe what just happened. And seven kids laugh. Yeah. Nah. Unacceptable. See, that's carny shit. That's it not was carnival. Very carny. Very carny. <laughs> but then they distract you and be like, well, here's some people from Argentina who are also going to do flips. Look over this way. Yeah, but do you know what? I bet if you talk to them, they'd be like, we're 68th generation Argentinian <laughs> circus people. Back, back there were the, uh, it was Tenochtitlan and the Aztecs, and then we were the circus. That was the three uh, uh, dynasties. I that's the three I, circus that's dynasties. The three dynasties. Yep. Yep. I'm going to do that. Argentina, we have many, many things to export around the world, <laughs> including circus people. Uh, what, what can I say? That is unrivaled. <laughs> uh, you're, st- you're still doing the comedy on occasions. You're still doing No. No, you're done? No. no, I'm done. I haven't done stand-up for probably two and a half years. Good for you. Well, yeah. I, I tried. I mean, well, I tried to go back and do... I think maybe an open mic or two around January or something like that. Uh, and it is, it is dark out there. The pandemic, really? 
the pandemic wiped it out. You know, like here's what I think happened because I I've checked out a few specials. I haven't watched stand up in a long, long time. Yeah. But I checked out like Beth Stelling's new special. Yes. Great. You know, looking into that, so good. Kyle Kinane's special, so good. Like the people who were good when the pandemic hit stayed good. Yeah. Everybody who was below that level has just seemed like to reset and now everybody's back at the bottom <laughs> and it is, everybody's first year it is it really feels like that it really felt like whenever i went to these open mics i saw some people that i knew and but most people that i didn't and it was just like yeah it was not good i i tried it to start dark. like writing jokes this year and i was like oh, yeah? you know i had like a bad year and i'm like i'm just gonna like write all of this out and everything I was writing was angry and dark and like not one <laughs> ounce of happiness. Yeah, that'll happen. Nothing. It was a pandemic. It's not our fault. <laughs> I blame Jared Kushner for the death of comedy. The it, it, in the eighties, it was I don't know cocaine. Yeah. Now it's Jared Kushner. It's, you're, clearly, you're completely blaming him. Somebody's got to go down for it. Yeah. Why not? Why not him? Why and, not him? Why not him? That's my new bumper sticker. Please buy it. <laughs> I'm up for that sub stack. That's my political slogan, you know. Uh, and people are gonna be like, "Oh, you four? And I'm like, "No. Why, why not, not him? take him next? <laughs> That's what, but it's it's better if I say, "Why not him?" And not who's next? Then you just like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I want to I want to <laughs> go back to the beginning of this year. You were, I think, the first person to reach. I was going through texts. You were the first person to reach out to me after I lost my job, and I will say publicly, thank you. I like really. Yeah, it was two hours oh. after I was laid off. Oh, how about that? Look at you. Um, I that's I will say this. Complete stroke of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I that that is one hundred percent. Cause, cause I only check social media like every now and again. Yeah. So it was like I had logged back into uh my dummy Twitter account that yes. has that you know because I got rid of the one that had all the followers and stuff. So now I've got just a little, woo. Um, and it was like you popped up and it was like literally here are all the layoffs going on, and it was it was just fucking devastating. Like yeah. it's just such bullshit. Because it's it's not a unique story. It's still um, happening in journalism yeah. and tech. Like the other day, two totally. of my friends lost their job. It's just like, what the hell? Yeah. Oh, and uh, didn't uh, I think the the Gizmodo people just laid off a shit ton of people too? Like it's just yep. the 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 world is um collapsing. It's great. It's great to yeah. be a writer in 2023. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm working on a new novel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Are you really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's um, right. We did talk about that. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually really stoked because I finally broke the story. Uh -huh. You know, I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of stuff, um, but yeah, that doesn't make a book, you know. Uh, but yeah, I finally broke the story on it, and now everything's starting to move a lot faster. That's awesome. So, yeah, 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 because it's been three years, uh, <laughs> and it's not been fun. No. Not at all. No. Uh, we we were having some fun. Bam, transition. Uh, back in February, you had me doing Twitch streaming with you as you were trying to speed run 
Final Fantasy seven, six, yes, seven. Final Fantasy seven, yes. Rather, because I, I like I said, I tried to do, I tried to dip my toe into stand up again, and that was a tragic disaster. Yes, uh, I hated it, but I still wanted to avoid writing. So I <laughs> needed to do something else. Uh, and and it was at the time that Games Done Quick was going on. And I had, I had kind of streamed in the past. I had done a streaming show called Watch Magicians with me a couple yeah. of times, a few times, which is inexplicably fun and cool, but it could never work. Uh, uh, no. But for the people who enjoyed it, it really was great. Um like Joe Kasabian guessed it on it, and it is it is such a fun thing. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so then I figured, fuck it. I'll try the speedrunning thing. Yeah. Uh and the only game that I could think of that I would have the interest in just constantly repeating over and over and over again, because I've done it so many times, is Final Fantasy VII, which is a terrible idea because it's a seven million hour long game and even if you're great at speed running it it's a seven hour long game yeah um yes. it is it's, it's seven and a half hours long if you're great um but what was really cool about it is that there were a bunch of little skips and tricks that you can you can just practice and master yes and and that's what i was really looking for at the time is like and that's what video games really kind of promise you is what real life doesn't deliberate gradual progress yes a level up that you are rewarded for in that moment you don't have to look back in time and be like oh that was when i went from blank to blank it's there you get the immediacy of it yeah and so practicing all of that was really fun and then you had lost your job uh and you weren't really doing anything during the day so, and mentally wasn't doing well at all. Yeah, no, no, no. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very important, too. Um, so, yeah, so it was really, it just made perfect sense to just be yeah. like, hey, come, yeah, why not? Just come do this. Uh, but then you did get a job, and after that, it was like, it was like I felt like Bagger Vance. Like, I, I was like, okay, well, now I fade into the into the forest again, like, I, I've I've got this white man through a dark period of his life. <laughs> now, now it's time for me to disappear. It was like as soon as I started at Meow Wolf, like I'm not streaming anymore. I'm like, well, that yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if after that, it really did feel like, well, there's no point in doing this anymore. But it was also it was also because in the course of the speed run, um, I had reached a point where. If I just like I had I I'm able to do everything. Yeah. Now the only step from here is repeating it over and over and over and over and over again until the time is lower. Yeah. That's it, you know? And so I can do that. But that's a lot of time. And I've proven to myself that I could do that as opposed to this is an unconquerable thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that at that point it's like, well, I spend the next four years streaming and trying to play this game or uh i actually try and write a book like i fucking should be doing and have told myself for years yeah because um, i mean there are a lot of uh 
streamers out there that are doing, you know, speed runs. Seth Dress was one of them that was in your room all the time. Yeah, I love Seth Dress. Awesome. Great awesome, guy. Awesome Great guy. guy. Uh, but, like, that's what he does. That's his living. You know, like, he's just on there seven hours a day or whatever his uh, schedule is, just speed running. Yeah. And it's nah. like you can make that choice to, like, have that be a big part of your career and just switch to, like, GDC. Or, G- yeah, GDC. Uh, yeah. GDQ, whatever. I can't spell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, they both have a, yeah. Uh, or you can, like, focus on something you're more passionate about. And I'm sure people like Sathras are very passionate about speed running. Totally. But that's not your main focus as a creative person. Right. I mean. Yeah. I mean, Lord knows, I at this point, I, I when I look back, I don't know what my main focus as a creative person is. Yeah, well, you're Every, a writer. Right, yeah, that's that's true. That's what I have maintained to be since I was fucking 12. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'm really fucking good at it, but I better be. You have to. <laughs> at this you, point. You, you have to be good to continue or else it's, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people in my time who have uh, said they're writers and um, don't take criticism well, and you need to take criticism well in order to be a good writer. Otherwise, you just it's all ego and it's all bullshit, and you're just gonna yeah. fail because you'll never get better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the thing that you have to always remember about yourself when you're writing is. When you when you're you know, whenever you're getting criticism, your immediate response is I was doing this. This mm. is what I was doing. Right. Yeah. And if you think that that's pushing back, you're already you've already lost. Yes. Because when you say this is what I was doing, what's implied by that is and I didn't succeed because you're telling me it's not what happened. Exactly. If the person right? reading and editing your writing is saying, I don't understand this. That's your fault as the writer. Yeah. It's not the yep. fault of the reader. Nope. I think that's the, the the biggest, in my years of being an editor, that's the biggest obstacle I've had to overcome with certain types of personalities, we'll say. Sure. It's like, no, I'm the best writer ever. You're reading it wrong. It's like, no, I'm reading it. It's English. I understand. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. No, and I'm, but I mean, and that's the other thing, you know, like, Part of the the book that I did finish, or, or the book that I pu- I put out, um, the quiet part loud is that there were a couple of sections that are deliberately there so you can't understand them. Yeah, you know, like that. But that is something that when it, somebody looks at me and tells me I didn't understand that, I go, "That is my point." Not here's what I was trying to do. It's yeah. like, no, 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 you got it. That's what I was doing. That's the point. You so now you can me. keep going. No, 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 no. You can keep going or you can bail at that point. Like that's kind of how I really wanted to make uh, this because I I get so annoyed at very long sci-fi and fantasy books now. Yeah. Oh, so. Uh, and I wanted to try and rip out everything that a book that I could possibly rip out of a book. Yeah. Because uh, it was. It was originally uh, about 110,000 words, Jeez. and then I edited it down to about 50. Uh, and I just tried to, I tried to deliberately like cut as much as I can out. Like I had, I had Devin print it out uh, at school using their paper, 
I had her printed out at school using her paper. So I had this gigantic stack of paper and my red pen and scissors. And it was violent. Just like, this is gone. This is gone. You're a failure. Like I, anytime, uh, anytime somebody asks me to like, hey, you want to take a look over this writing? And Devin's there. She's like, don't, don't let him look at it. <laughs> you don't want to know. You don't want to know. Sure, it'll make you a better writer, but you don't want to know. <laughs> and it's like, man, whatever my red pen has done to other people, the damage that it's done to my heart <laughs> is far greater. Your your red pen and scissors is my Google Doc highlighting and making a comment. Do you really need this? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, I mean, you seem to be enjoying writing more than anything else. Because even when you were doing comedy, and you were very, very good, mm, you were very. Good. I was, I was okay. I was. Here's I'd say here's very what I'll good. say. Uh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I think I was good because Marty is kind of like. This is this is the way that I thought about it with Marty DeRosa. Yeah. Um, when Marty was like, hey, man, good set. That's when I was good, you know, mm -hmm. and that's when I can be there. Uh, that's where I stayed. So I'm stoked to stay there. <laughs> I was, that's a that's a thing that 95 percent of comedians will never experience. They'll yeah. never be good, you know. So I'm stoked to have been good. I, I also once got the pat on the back for Marty. That was a good set. <laughs> yeah. and I've never seen him do that to anybody else at that point. It was at Tilted Kilt in Elgin. So it was already a gross <laughs> show. Like, I mean, gross is like, it's it's a sexualized, yeah. like, Hooters type yeah. atmosphere. And I just yeah. go up there, do my set about, like, possibly kissing guys or whatever I was doing back then. Like, all the jokes sure. ended with, like, not even a joke, but, like, they ended with, like, hey, we're all bisexual. Screw you. Uh, <laughs> and Marty came up to me and, like, fanned me in the bag and goes, that was a good set. And like I was opening for him. And I'm like, Marty DeRosa said I had a good set. Everybody needs yeah. to hear this. Yeah. 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 It really, it really was uh so much of like Marty saying you are you are good is an official thing yes. in Chicago. Yeah. Uh Danny saying you're good. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever said that to anybody about anything. It, my experience with Danny was like, you want to go play pool after this? <laughs> like that's it <laughs> hey we did I a comedy show let's go play some pool i acknowledge you exist yeah. <laughs> but he's so fucking funny yeah i love danny Callis so so fucking much and then so goddamn funny uh drew michaels scared the shit out of me as a human sure. like he just he, he was a good comedian uh is i don't know if he's doing anything now i haven't seen anything but uh oh he's great he's he's still he's great like He's got three HBO specials. Yes, like he does. he's he's out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he also just wanted to play pool. And then Joe Kilgallen, I would not talk to because he frightened the hell out of me. Like he's he's a good comedian, but he scared me to the bone. Ooh, that's interesting. Why? I I think what it was, was up the, with Joe? I think it was the, no no no. I don't hate him. I like Joe. I think his attitude was it was just frightening to me. Maybe it was the mm. onstage attitude. Hmm. Of the like, I'm huh. Chicago. Screw you. Well, I mean, I wouldn't. I actually, I, I wouldn't put him up there with some of the folks who uh, really gave that impression to me. 
I think Joe. Man, I was I was um, somehow in at, the, at my advanced age yeah. of thirty six. I no longer want to name names for some reason. I don't know why, and I think part of it is because I don't remember them as well anymore. <laughs> my yeah, I mean, uh, uh, in my advanced age of forty one, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about reminiscing, and I will drop names. I do not care, but also. The people that I talk to are are probably very very different than the fourteen years that have transpired since we've talked last. Yeah, yeah, it is it is kind of wild. Yeah, except for and Marty. Being... Marty's the same. <laughs> I Marty's mean, Marty's just like great. not in a bad way. Marty's just Marty. No, he's just great. He's he's just he's great. Very talented. He's getting a lot of work, uh, commercial wise these I, days. I, I saw him in a Swiffer ad or something. Yeah, and I texted him, and I just wrote like, "You're on my TV." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wiley! Uh, I saw Mike Wiley. But here's what's crazy thing happened. Uh, on Wednesday morning, I took my car to get serviced, mm-hmm. and I walk by the waiting room, and fucking Mike Wiley is there. Like, <laughs> what are what are we what are, what's happening? What is happening right now? So, uh, so yeah, so we talked a little bit, and it was fun to be like, wait a second, Kristen Lundberg, we ran a short-lived, uh, off the radar comedy show with her, and now she's fucking TV shit all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is, it is so weird that, it, you know, in, and it is, it does kind of seem to happen to every scene the the random people that pop into the business here and there yeah. and where they wind up it's like a pachinko machine you know it's like <laughs> everybody who does comedy can just drop the thing in there and is like oh stand up writer failure dead od you know like those are the things you can get when you get in the comedy machine yeah because when i when i came out when i like came out from chicago and started doing it in the burbs like it was like Kyle Kinane. It's like, oh, I did a yeah. set with him in an open mic, and now he's famous. And then like uh, Hannibal, Burr, Hannibal Burris, who I'd seen once in an open mic, and then got famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Drew Michael, and so it's like Beth Stalling, same thing. So it's just mm-hmm. it's kind of weird because you think about like, oh man, look at these people that made it, completely forgetting like that same open mic you were at. There was thirty people who never did it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a 60, 60 person comedy showcase. <laughs> And five who did it too much, too long. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I think that's that's one of the, the other things about it, though, is like the decade that I spent there uh, in the comedy coal mines. Yeah. Uh, just with my <laughs> with your Canarian uh, pickaxe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that the the like training for for the for the sound of it for for funny in general mm-hmm. is is in like it it's the best there's no better education in funny yeah. than that instant feedback of stand up comedy yes if you can do stand up then you can understand funny period mm-hmm. people who do improv can't understand funny <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you. Uh, I had things written out. <laughs> teen prom. Uh, <laughs> You're mentioning such a weird, specific joke between four of us of me making fun of improv. I know. 
I know. It's just never going to get boring. It's See, if you're sitting down, kids, I'm going to explain Team Prof. I just want people to understand this. There was... At Please a local, explain Teen Prov. I will 100 explain <laughs> where it came from and everything very quickly. There was a uh, an improv for teens class at the local comedy club by us. Uh, and the person running it was the comedy club's owner. And at that time, I was in my, probably my, my mid-30s, maybe mm. early 30s. I said, hey, can I join your improv for teens class as a joke? And he was very upset and said, no, like this is for teens. And I go, fine, I'll start my own teenage <laughs> improv class. And it was very much just us joking in like Facebook chat. Like if you're sitting down, you got to be driving a car. Always, if, if, if you're always driving, if you're sitting, you're always, unless there's you're someone standing driving. next to you, then that person's a yep. doctor and you have cancer. What's that in your hand? It's a phone. <laughs> it's always a phone. <laughs> First lesson, it's always a phone. That's in your hand. <laughs> and it's always bad news, but you answer it happy. <laughs> Hello? Oh, no, my dog's dead? <laughs> Goodbye. Yes, and. <laughs> I like that. I like yes, and as not a, as not a like command so much as a coda. <laughs> That was Team Prov, yep. which we would do in the back very loudly during open mics. Yeah. We yeah. were kind of assholes. There, you know, there was an aspect of uh, the cool kids hung out in the back for sure. Yeah. But there was also an element of like. It was a it was a weirdly Lord of the Flies hierarchical environment that developed, you know, like there yeah. were so many people who were like, oh, I've only been doing it for like three months. I'm going to study what people are doing on the stage, you know, doing that whole thing. And then you've got people who are kind of alone, kind of looking over at, you know, the four or five of people who were actually funny who are kind of just not paying attention because they didn't have to yeah and it was it was so much like a, a foreground middle ground background kind of painting that was that's something that was always weird to me is like as myself as a comedian i was playing myself on stage i was very middle at best but like screwing around with you guys and making up characters to go on stage and like writing jokes for teddy beers before I went on stage of all of us, like made me something more important to the scene, which I always found very weird. Cause the whole idea is like these characters are just mirrors of people I don't like that I see at open mics. They were always me doing impersonations of people I I didn't like on a personal level. But it got me at the cool kids table. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> and then got me running comedy shows for some reason, which became a thing for a lot of people out in the suburbs when there was Zanies was the only place to go for us. And yeah, Zanies, you had to audition, which I, I found so weird. I understand why they did it, but I found it yeah. weird. Yeah, I, I, you know, auditioning for Zanies the first time was the worst. Uh, and I really did not do well in front of uh, people that I cared about. Yeah. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I will say that in the green room, 
which is the upstairs. We were in the Zanies in Old Town. So there's the floor room, which seats about 100 people. Mm-hmm. And for a, a Tuesday night showcase, it seats about 15 people. And um, but Bert, the owner or not the owner, the operator, general manager yeah. of Zanies for 70,000 years uh, from the, the birth of the Mesozoic, um, he gave the speech, uh, which everybody who everybody of my generation who went through Zanies knew what the speech was, which is just like, you're going to fail. It was just you're going to fail. You know, yeah, it was basically, yeah. you know, it, like the long and the short of it was quick comedy. Um, and that was what he gave you before you audition. So he gives it, he sits down the eight people or whatever, who are going to do the, the open or the, you know, the showcase show gives them the talk and then fucks off into his office and is just like, (laughs) all right, well, good luck. So the first time there I was, I'd only been doing it for like eight months. I was way too soon. And I was so nervous Mm -hmm. that I went out and there was this one dude and he was like, oh, do you want some, uh, do you want a hit of this? Uh, and I took a, I took a hit of very powerful weed um, that I later am, am concerned with whether or not it was just that. Because when he was on stage, he went into a long thing about how he sells drugs uh, and very well. He's very good at it. And he <laughs> might have hurt somebody. And I don't know if he was telling jokes so much as committing or admitting to crimes. Uh and so that's that I got that was two sets before I went on stage. So I went, I was just going like, okay, I all right. So then I bombed, but whatever, that's fine. But then I did when I did get past uh at Zany's after about three years, Bert stopped doing the speech, they stopped doing the kind of auditions thing that they used to do, really? they stopped doing all of that. And I was pissed. <laughs> so mad. That was such an important part of comedy lore. There were so many generations of comedy that literally could communicate via like, oh, you went through Zanies? Did you get the Burt speech? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be longer, you know? And, <laughs> and it's, and it is, it is like, and, and that was the other thing is like that old generation was like, ah, Bert's speech was meaner back then, you know, back whenever everybody was in the eighties and some guy was wearing a diaper uh, and that was his fucking, I'm the adult baby comic. And that was, and he made seven seventy thousand $70,000 a year. Was uh, that me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the adult baby comic. <laughs> I'm little wham wham. Yeah, that's true. If you, if you had, if you missed the time, if you were coming up in the mid eighties, you would have roamed the earth like a God. <laughs> People have been like, this guy has so many gimmicks. I don't even know what to do with this man. He did a one man show. It was 40 hours long. Totally. Carson would have you on every night and be like, I can't believe he's got a new character for me. <laughs> I would get to start in defending your life. <laughs> We we had Worth our own it. we had our own Bert. It wasn't uh we had Bert Borth from uh Sure, sure. It, it was Walter Bert Payton's Borth. Roundhouse back then. Uh now yep. it's Drufke runs the show there. But like all you would do is email him, I think I'm pretty funny. <laughs> Can you give me a spot on your show? And you get like a guest spot. You get one chance. And if you did good during your guest spot, you'd be in his list of like people he could just pick out whenever he needed them. And that was my 
my first time on stage there, I threw up in the bathroom because uh, it's a real stage. It's like five feet tall. You're, it has a oh, real yeah. PA system, a real audience that's always there. I threw up in the bathroom. I got on stage. I told my jokes about like the movie Labyrinth, Mah! you know, if, before I, you know. That Listen, fir- that we're all, year. we've all been there. Yeah. That yeah. First you're, year supposed of to, you're supposed to suck. You're supposed yeah. to suck. If you don't suck, fuck you. Yeah. I know some people who didn't suck. Fuck them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they went on to have success. Blah, 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 blah. Go fuck yourselves. You were I, good in the first year yeah. and I will never forgive you for that. I, I did decently the first one, like, because there's a few jokes that landed and the rest were like, oh, I'm just saying dick and swearing way too much because that's your mm. first year of comedy. You're just, you sure. know, like, penis. Yeah. And no one laughs. You're like, oh, wait a minute. So I got to be honest. Yeah, list. that was my problem is that was also closer to my last year of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I had a very, I had a very quick rise and fall like a penis. Uh, but like one of my last times performing at like Walter Payton's Roundhouse before it became uh, Two Brothers, uh, Bert had someone on the list opening for me. So like I was the middle feature and it mm-hmm. was a homeless guy named Wrench who Ooh. reeked of alcohol and talked sure. about for five minutes straight, even while the red light was flashing for him about like, I just got to move out to Mexico. And I was convinced it was a character for a while. Like I was going to take everything. I'm just going to move down to Mexico and just like. You can just you can do what you want in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm listening. I'm listening. And then I come up and it's like, hey, you know the movie Labyrinth from the 80s? Oh, I miss. That's that's the one thing that I, I do miss. The open mic lunatics. Yes. <laughs> and I, yeah, maybe they don't. I don't know if they exist anymore. Maybe the pandemic got rid of them, too. Really? You think so? I haven't. I didn't see. I didn't see any of them. There's usually always one. Most of the time, there's three. There should be three. Should a be healthy, three. a healthy. They're like a keystone species yeah. for your comedy scene. There should be at least three people at your open mic who could do anything. Yeah. There's 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 always the one that doesn't have jokes, and there's the funny guy at the audience or funny guy at the office. Sure, but they'll they'll go to every open mic forever and never get. Yeah, up. they're the worst. Yeah. Um, my personal least favorite is uh, person wearing funny hat that sits in the front that talks during every set, and then that they go tough. up and bomb. Yeah. And the third is is the guy who is uh, or girl, but it's, it's always a guy. Who am I kidding? Uh, who talks about how they're killing all over and just doing massive shows, and again doesn't know how to tell a joke on stage yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but those the, guys i i want to say both one and three are generally sex pests also yeah you, yeah <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> let's just face up the truth of comedy yeah there, there's a lot of that what i liked is like drufke and i talked a bit about this and like we just started banning those people from every show i'm yeah. not gonna i won't name names because at this point it doesn't matter anymore but like there was a group of people that we had in like a private chat. Like these are the names of people like they're making women feel uncomfortable. Like, fuck off. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. That was, uh, that was rough. I was more speaking of, of the true, the, the diamonds, you know, like, uh, not like that diamond. I'm talking about your, uh, your Madge Jablonskis of this world. You know, those people who come up, and they have something so unique 
and so uh, devastating to a normal group of people that they sit there in shock and awe. And then I get to laugh by myself in the back of the room. Those are the people that I'm talking about that that really I, I miss. I miss those people because that's the type of funny that I can't ever create or recreate. I, I came into comedy with one of those people with an early like comedy group, uh, the Eastboro Corrugation or whatever we were called, Eastboro Camp or whatever, the EBC. Make, sure. It was whatever. But sure. The leader of the group was a guy who was like, I'm going to tell you stories that are going to blow your mind. And he was very charismatic on stage and had a great voice, but didn't have jokes. Like one of his things was like, he was like you guys want to hear about the time? Like I was shitting blood and the audience <laughs> who already liked him would be like, yeah. And then he'd tell a 20 minute story with not one joke in it. And very quick. And I do miss guys like that. I miss comedians like that where they have nothing to say, but they talk forever. Nope. They just keep on going. Were you around for Shad Roberts? Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. Shad Roberts. I uh, don't, wow. I haven't <laughs> thought about Shad Roberts. That was that was more uh, y'all's thing. I didn't yeah. hate Shad as much because I just wasn't in the orbit as often. Every time I was around Shad, I was like, I can just not be around him anymore. I think you guys were captured because he just kept showing up your open mics and shit. He was at every open mic in the yeah. suburbs. Yeah, I just walked out. I just left. But he would, most of his bits were like, and I like the bit. I just don't like him. Mm. Uh, but he also did the bit for way too long. Uh, he would come up on stage like, I wrote a, I wrote a letter to President Obama. And he'd oh open up God. the letter. And it says, Dear President Obama. And he turned it around and it just had the words, fuck you, written on it. But he did that bit. Like, I wrote a letter to Ronald McDonald. Like, okay, we know where this is going at this point. But we were, like, enthralled with hatred and uh, disdain and, like, a little bit of jealousy because, like, he'd get that first huge laugh from, like, the Dear Obama one, fuck you. Yeah. But then as, as it went on, he'd kill the crowd. And whoever went up next was screwed because the audience is, like, angry at that point. Yeah. He also yeah, broke yeah. a bunch of mics by throwing them on the ground, but that's a whole other He did story. do that. Yeah. Yeah, people just disrespect the equipment. There's not much to say beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to <laughs> get banned. That, listen, I I mean, it's a, it's a dark state of affairs, but I know people who are like, well, you make women feel uncomfortable. You can come back once every six months. <laughs> And people who are like, ah, you broke a microphone. I'll see you in hell. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will st I will bite my own hand off before I let you touch my equipment again. But if you make the audience feel uncomfortable, I'll see you at Christmas. Yeah, I mean, hey, come on. What are we gonna what are we gonna cause problems now? <laughs> what is this comedy? Hey, uh, uh after your set, just uh steer clear of the women. But uh we'll see you back here yeah. at Thanksgiving. Yeah, it is it is tough. I think a lot of people rightfully criticize the the old old comics yeah. for for their stupid uh, the snowflake, you know, all that bullshit. Yeah. They, they can shove it up their butts, you know. But what that should tell you is just how lawless comedy really was. Yes. For a long time. Truly lawless. That even the most minor of shit like this, they go, Hey, come on. I guess I'm going to be a Nazi now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, am I canceled? Oh, yeah. no. 
I guess Tim Allen was right. <laughs> but that was like the time that I came in in like 2000, 2000, uh, 2007, 2008. Like it was the changing of the guard at that point. It was, yeah. I came in, it was all the old guys who like, I love pops to death. I don't know if you ever saw him. He just did one-liners. There was mm-hmm. the Duke of one-liners. He just did one-liners. I remember the Duke of one-liners. <laughs> but yeah. they all wore outfits on stage. and it was He was the Duke <laughs> of one-liners. And he lived up to it. He, he promised and he delivered. And that is something that you can never take away from him because there are a lot of comics that have promised a lot and never deliver. That's it. There's a there's at least a base level achievement to being a person who does one liners if you call yourself the Duke of One Liners. But it was all like a bunch of people that just did one liners and they'd be like filling up the show. I want to tell you uh, one of my favorite jokes from Pops who was okay. a man in his 60s, been doing comedy forever, and my favorite joke he ever did was, I used to do drugs in the 60s. Now I don't care what the temperature is. All right. It's, it's well not, done. It's not like laugh out loud funny, but I, I loved like the setup, the beat, and the punchline. It's it, a well-crafted bit, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very like toilet joke book material. Well, I mean, there's, there's something about... Like for for us, because I don't laugh at much, even if it is, you know, if it's if it's funny, it's funny. Yeah. And I'll I'll laugh sometimes, but not often because most things aren't. Uh, Everything is illusions for the public, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) I can't I can't laugh at a sleight of hand bit anymore. You know, I have a hard time laughing at a oh, look over here. And that's where we're going. Ha ha. Ta da. You know, that kind of thing, because it's like and if it's a really well done one. I react the way a magician would, which is like, wow, that's some great sleight of hand, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. like, whoa! <laughs> My mind has been blown! Yeah, and can you imagine a magician looking at another magician going, <gasps> after the <laughs> fucking coin disappeared? What are you talking about? They that go, is Man. my card! <laughs> so... So there's so that's that's tough, but you can always appreciate the like construction because yeah. you when you when you remove yourself from the sleight of hand, then you can see like, oh, this is where the pieces fit together. Yes. This is a well crafted bit that is is almost like a set of stairs, you know. If you if you created a bit well enough, then you should go right on time, dump, 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 and then you fall. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Um so, yeah, just because just because uh, that shit doesn't make me laugh doesn't mean I don't understand the quality. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I was saying it was, it was it was that changing of the old guard where like I remember doing uh, a showcase at a hookah bar because that was a thing. Oh and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and two of the other comedians who are old guard comedians being very upset because a woman was on the show. <laughs> Kat Rabarski, love you to death, Kat. We wrote together for years. Hi, Kat. <laughs> but somebody just being like, ugh, a woman comic, what's she going to talk about? I'm like, well, like, her jokes are, like, I like her jokes. Like, I still yell Tallahassee at her, which is one of her punchlines from a joke 20 years ago. Like, <laughs> she's going to tell jokes. She just has different genitals than you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to tell you. A woman? Ugh. So many hookah bars. So many hookah bars. That's because there, no there was no showcases in the suburbs. It was all like hookah bars, yeah. 
or you'd be doing a set in a bar while the Blackhawks playoffs were on. Right. Oh, for sure. Those oh. were always fun. Why aren't those were always fun? <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's it's hard to like find the right balance between that overwhelming grind culture that also existed at the time. Yeah. You know, in Chicago, there was the grind culture of like we got to try and hit three mics a night, otherwise you'll never be funny. And in the suburbs, there was there wasn't enough to fight for stage time. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, so a lot of people were kind of stuck in that middle zone of trying to drive into the Chicago to do mics and then getting looked at as suburbs people because they didn't go up three times a night. Yep. You know, uh, and then being somebody in the suburbs being like, man, I w it's not for lack of fucking trying. There's just not enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Drufke and I and like a, a few other guys like tried making more showcase or like more open mics, but there's no. There's not enough comedians, and there's, at that time, no demand for comedy. Yeah. I, we had Zanies down the street doing shows twice, two or three times a week. Uh, there, there was just no, no one wanted to see comedy. People wanted to see cover bands. Yeah. So it's like we did decent with, like, the showcase that we had, or where we did an open mic, it was fine, but there's nothing you could do. Like, nobody wants to do comedy out in the suburbs, and if they do, they're probably crazy because we were all kind of weird and loopy and whatnot yeah and just you know between the age of 20 and 35 <laughs> we just <laughs> that puts us at the low end of the suburbs population exactly demographic wise we, you know? it's, it was all just a, an excuse to hang out with friends that's all it was oh yeah and well we, there was there was the one mic that uh lewis and i ran that was literally an excuse to hang out with friends oh you mean the because one that, it was just yeah the one that both of you and i were on the poster for yes <laughs> yeah and my first reaction was why am i on a fucking poster for a comedy open mic because be that's on... where you needed to be but it was me as myself the yeah. worst version of me God, you know what? If you don't like Matt at his mat, you don't deserve Teddy at his beers. <laughs> you don't deserve the insult uh, comedy of uh, lip syncer Saucy Snells. <laughs> that was we that that show actually came up on this podcast two episodes ago with uh, my friend Sarah Clancy. She saw me do Tougher America for the first time there. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And she hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, come on. That was fun. That was a fun show. I love that was one of my favorite shows because it literally was just like a bunch of friends hanging out. Yep. And it was and an we actual take, audience. Yeah, we would, we would be. And that was the it wasn't like other open mics where it was just a, a bunch of people who didn't want to be there who were just waiting for their turn to go up. Yeah, it was it was almost weird in that everybody took their turn, but everybody was waiting and like would. I mean, it's, it was almost like a call and response at, uh, at plenty of times, you know, where yeah. people would be shouting out tags while you're doing your bit and it would be something that you'd take. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be I, like, yes. It, it it was just our it it literally was just like our clique and whoever else wanted to be a part of that, but like a community of comedians that wanted to actually watch each other do comedy, which you never got in the city, mm -mm. Uh, and only very rarely got in the suburbs because everybody's more worried about themselves, which I understand. Sure. But I also like that you know all of us would get together, 
do a showcase in the basement of a, a tap house and like raise a bunch of money for a charity. But it was just like, we all wanted to watch each other do comedy. And sometimes the audience would as well. Yeah. 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 That is, uh, you know, I mean, it sounds a lot more romantic than it really was. Yeah. Because it was to inflate our own <laughs> egos. Well, I mean, not just that, but it's like, we were all fairly sad people too. So, you know, yeah. you can remember it as all smiles and, and games, but it was also a lot of us bitching about uh, the world uh, falling up out around our ears. Uh, yeah. But that's pretty much the same. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, don't pay attention to that. Here comes out of work court jester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was fun though. The the what was it like darts or something right off to the side, where <laughs> where ninety five percent of the time that we did the open mic, it was just us doing it for us yeah nobody was bothering anybody but then every now and again the loudest darts machines would go off because <laughs> people wanted to play darts and it was like triple 20 <laughs> and you're like okay all right well hey you know what i don't have any complaints <laughs> they're letting us do this for free we're not Pretty really much. making a money but no no, no. I think I think Lewis and I got two beers each. I think that was our that was our favorite. <laughs> oh man, love! I love running a show for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Is it common? Yeah, because the most common thing in the world. <laughs> because the the bars don't pay you, and then you don't realize till years later, like, oh, I could have been making money from the bar from this if it's successful. Yeah. Uh, well, well. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I, that show lasted like a three months, I think, didn't it? Uh, was is that a rebuttal or an observation? Observation, and not in a <laughs> not in yes. a knockdown way. <laughs> yes, that was about three months, I think. Yeah, because yeah. I'm not trying to knock it down, but like, I think three weeks in, we we very much knew like, oh, this is just for us. Oh yeah, and it was it was never going to change. Yeah, there was no way we were going to like bring a crowd to this place no a crowd didn't exist for this place no that's why they that's why they invited us in the first place <laughs> if there was a crowd they would not allow us anywhere near their place <laughs> our tuesday nights are really dying what can we do i don't know bring in six comedians every week to get dinner and a beer Ugh, you could do so many other things and yet everyone still gets bilked into doing their own comedy night <laughs> i've never seen a restaurant that hasn't tried a comedy night and then quickly learned a lesson. All so the only ones that did not fail, uh, Drufke's, uh still not Friday, sure. And I'd say AOK comedy only failed. That lasted a long time. It lasted for three years, and then the restaurant closed, and then they opened it up at a bar, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. So it was like five or six years, but it was yeah. better at the bar because it was like intimate, intimate. seating. It was yeah. nice. It wasn't a, <laughs> a venue for rock bands. Yeah, that was a little bit weird at times. Yeah, that I was mean, my bad. I picked you'd that get, venue. You'd get a crowd of like 30 people, which would be great at the time, but you put them in a cavern and it's not great. No, I think I heard one person laugh. Yeah, I, yeah. Come back next week because it's the mid-2000s and we're doing a roast. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's just, that's the nature of comedy. That's the, the worst part about it is it's so venue dependent. You know, like, yeah. Um, working the improv in schaumburg yep we uh, a show for 250 people is awesome mm -hmm. in a venue that seats 250 
And if any of it seats 600, it's you might as well be talking to 30 people. Yeah. Like it's crazy how dependent on the the energy and the tightness of people being kind of packed in. There's just got to be that electricity uh, yeah. to to really make it pop off. That, that's why I always like Kami Under the Tap in. That was Oswego. It was ran uh, by Amelia, and I think Drufke was running a bit of it, too. Burt Borth ran it for a Bert couple Borth, of... Burt Borth, that's right. Yep. I remember, because that's where I did my little set for Burt Borth, is Comedy Under the Tap. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But, uh, but it sat, like, I think 60 people. It was always packed. And mm -hmm. I could do the worst material in the world, and people were just happy to see comedy. Yep. And I remember... Oh my God! Who was the guy who did Chris Farley? I I know who you're talking about. But I don't remember. So there was so for me there are two two from under the tap for me yeah. in my brain right. Uh, there's Dan Brennan who did yep. the Family Guy. Uh, yes. and then there was the guy who was supposed to be better. Who was like a Burt Borth was like this is the guy I bring in who kind of travels around and does that. And he did Chris Farley. So those are the only two things that I really remember. Was the second guy, Bob J. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, there was a Dave J. Uh, I was doing a Tony Carr show. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Always the best. I've got a Tony Carr story. <laughs> ah. Oh boy. Uh, and Dave J was headlining and what always blew me away is that tony carr loved to have him headline and he closed with the street joke um <laughs> but he closed with a street joke uh uh but then so one night in the middle of his thing he just went on this whole anti-trans i don't know what happened um oh no 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 it was it was a joke about caitlin jenner because that had just yeah, uh, yeah. That it was in the news or for whatever reason. And he went off on like a if that if my did that if my dad did that, I would kill him type shit. And it was the craziest anti-trans thing I've ever heard uh in, in person without like violence immediately following. Um and it was literally like Tony, if I ever see this person again, uh you and I are done and he might not survive it. You know, it's that kind of fucked up. Yeah. Does I don't does anybody have and this is no offense to Tony Carr, who like would book shows and was always very nice. But um, baby gap. Uh, <laughs> sorry, his jokes are now coming into my head. Oh, Tony Carr. Uh, but does anybody have out there a Tony Carr show story that didn't end with something really off putting? Well, I think. Uh, OK, yes. There have been plenty of Tony Carr shows that didn't end with something off-putting. You know that because you still keep going back for the next show. <laughs> okay. If all of them were off-putting, eventually you would have stopped. The ones that were off-putting, though, are off-putting in such a memorable way. They kind of crowd out all other memories. Like there was, oh, the first time I was potty trained or something like that. That's gone. Now it's just that one time I was at this Tony Carr show and this old lady stood up and threw pudding at the feet of the person on stage. But it wasn't a stage. We're all on the same height. It's just a floor. And guess what? That's a mediocre Italian fake restaurant. And you're like, yeah, 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 that's 
That's a Tony Carr show. <laughs> My most memorable one, and this was a good, and I, from what I remember, it was a good lineup. It was like Cat and uh, Drufke. My buddy was on leave from the Navy and like was here for three days. Like one of the days, I'm going to see you do comedy. I'm like, yay! <laughs> and we're do, and we're doing a charity show, which like I'm always like, yeah, let's raise money for you know like a good cause. It's always something I've really enjoyed. Um, but it was for kids with a certain. When I got there, I, I learned it was for kids with a certain type of disease joie de vivre yeah and i I was like okay that's we're helping money for kids great so during the middle of the show right before i go on uh the person that led the foundation got on the mic was like i'd like to thank you all for coming and donating your time donating your money and the comedians for you know coming up here and telling jokes it's been such a great night for these kids now let's have the kids come out here themselves to thank the audience yeah, yeah. George's making a oh face. Oh no! Yeah, no, and it was no. so like sad. And, like it was because <laughs> these kids are dealing with a real disease. The 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 crowd's mood was so lightened and so fun, and then she brought up a bunch of kids that like were like, "Thank you so much." And then it's like, and next up's the comedy of Matt Elfring. <laughs> so I'm driving my car and I keep hitting stoplight after stoplight. And the crowd's just like, I'm like, I understand, crowd. You're done. Like, that's a tough transition, man. I, I mean, maybe don't bring up the, the like that noses are falling onto the floor. Like, that's just not going to lead into a good set. Because the entire audience is like, I feel for these children. I want to like, sure. I want to help out now. Here's a guy talking about once again the movie Labyrinth. Have you seen him before? You've seen this joke. Well, I'll tell you this. The problem there, the ultimate problem, is that your comedy instincts kick in, and there's the part of you that goes like, I can turn this around. All right. Yes. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if I maybe if I come up with a real clever thing to say right after the kids walk off, like at least leprosy's not a problem anymore, right? Like if I say something that'll diffuse the tension, then I can make it through this. And it's just not going to happen. No, there's a, there is nothing you can do to transition out of sick kids to let's have a great set. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. You think that's about when it. you start eating dinner. <laughs> you know, like, what do we do? Like, does this halftime? Do we call this half? Do we put a stage show on before I go? Could someone get shut out of a cannon, please? But just yeah, something. you really do need a complete reset after yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Here's the uh, Steve Miller band cover band, The Jokers. See, that's perfect. Yeah. That'll do it. <laughs> Here comes the Eagles cover band, Hotel California. Oh, oh Jordan. Hey, uh, <laughs> we could talk about comedy all day, but thank you for coming on to just hang out. Oh, absolutely. Talk. It was great. It was great. It was great. It was great. I love it. Uh, I like to tell to tell stories that, you know, it's. It doesn't happen on our show. Yeah. We don't talk comedy. It's, no, you uh, talk. Well, I mean, you do talk comedy, but in the darkest way possible. Right. Well, well we're funny, but we don't talk the biz too often. Yeah. Although occasionally we do get into it, into the weeds a little too, too much. But it's, it's always nice to, it's always nice to remember that I spend a decade of my life on something. Yeah. <laughs> and, that it, and that someone remembered it. <laughs> I were, I, I. Right, like this isn't uh, like I uh, we're not at Ozymandias yet. Not yet. We're so (laughs) close. Well, give me a couple weeks.
<laughs> my feet blow away in uh, uh very quickly uh yeah. this is where you would plug things if you want to plug things so go and plug oh yeah um i well i mean i we do knowledgefight.com uh, uh that's for the show knowledge fight um but also i have a book the quiet part loud uh i really like it and i think it's good and over time i've uh, i've appreciated it more you definitely uh, hated then... it when it came out uh there I, there were things there were things yeah. um but that's just the that's just kind of the element of releasing your child into the world yeah that's the process of writing yeah yeah um but yeah those are the things and then i don't know i'll probably make something else yeah. but not for now not, no and you're unbanned from you've been unbanned from my house for a few years that's true that's true you could it's been over. a soft it's been a soft unbanning though i've still not taken uh you know it's like how trump was unbanned from twitter but he's still not gone back you know <laughs> no, it's a little bit like that back. <laughs> i the, the the story which i will never fully explain publicly because it's not that bad it's just weird uh no one remembers it but you and me yeah no one remembers yeah. the banning mm -mm. and and nope. why it happened it's just fun it's just it's funny it's because because you know a lot of people they've only been banned from maximum one house yeah you know yeah i i like i have a collection i know i i, I keep them on my wall the number of houses that i'm banned from and to be unbanned is a true honor it's a t <laughs> we've got a different <laughs> dog now we have a child here <laughs> my uh my wife and i are actually married i don't know if that was yeah. a thing back then um not at first no no, no. We were just forever together. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Jordan, thank you. You are very welcome. Thank uh, you for thank you for having me. No, 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 no. Thank you for coming on. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> hey, thank you to Jordan Holmes for coming on my show. I just want to talk to friends. That's what you've been listening to. Go check out Knowledge Fight if you want. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Anyways, please go rate us and review us on iTunes. Sorry, Apple Podcasts. They say iTunes because you can't just change the name of something and expect everybody to know that. I'm on Twitter. Check me out. I don't post on there anymore. Who am I kidding? Opening and closing music by The Muggles featuring Tom Wanderer on vocals and screaming. Featuring uh, also uh, Will Ash on guitar, Andrew Parks on bass, and me, Matt Ulfring on drums. We recorded this 20 years ago. You can get it at muggles.bandcamp on vinyl. The song's called Gilded Age right there. Couple of great episodes, lots of great episodes coming up. Next week, we've got a game designer. Two weeks from then, we got a, a wrestler. Uh, Three weeks from that, uh, we've got Chris Hayner and a wrestler. So many wrestlers. All of the wrestlers are coming on. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Go to my Substack. I'm mattelfring.substack.com. Hey, read the things I read on there. It's a lot of fun stuff. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.